Take your copy of God's Word and turn to Psalm 127. Psalm 127. If you don't have a Bible, uh, the words will be on the screen. Those of you watching online, thank you for joining us. We're so honored that you'd be here. If this is your first time as well, there's a guest card in front of you. Take some time. Let us know how we can bless you. Put it in one of our connection boxes. We'd love to help you. Let's stand as we read God's Word. Psalm 127. Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain that you rise up early. Amen. <laughs> and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, Children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. You may be seated. Big question today. How many of you are expert parents? <laughs> yeah, me either. Okay. <laughs> Um, I, I'm very hesitant to preach on parenting because I don't know what I'm doing. My kids are still in the house and the cake isn't baked yet. All right. <laughs> so we're all going to be in this together. Pew did research. There's a research company called Pew and they, they did a, a, a re, they researched parents and, and in this study, they found that four out of 10 parents say that parenting is tiring and stressful. And the other 60% are liars. <laughs> Amen. Do we have any parents of kids under six in the house? All right. The Department of Labor did a study on you. <laughs> Found that the average mother spent 7.5 hours of her waking hours with her children and the dad 5.3 hours with their children. In other words, it's a full-time job to be a parent, right? A, a study found for, for new parents, and we've got a lot of new parents in the room. We got a lot. Listen, there's something in the water around here. I told April, don't drink any water, okay? It's Coke Zero at our house, all right? <laughs> I mean... There, listen, I met four or five ladies in our church who's expecting in the next like four or five days, okay? Not in the service, please, all right? <laughs> all right. Uh, but here's what they found. For new parents, for new parents, a study found that the average new parent loses 109 minutes of sleep every night for the first year of having a baby. So having children causes sleep deprivation, this is why after you have children, you age rapidly. <laughs> if you're tired, frustrated, weary, and afraid, you're not alone. But the good news is that God has principles and promises that can help you rest as a parent as you reach and raise that next generation. And so we're going to see that this morning. 
Psalm 127 is written by a guy named Solomon. Solomon was a king, a king in Israel. Uh, he was a builder. Uh, he was the wisest person to ever live. And this particular psalm is known as a psalm of ascent, but also as wisdom literature. Uh, even to this day, many Jewish babies, when they are born, this psalm is either saying or read over them. Uh, being a psalm of ascent, it was something that the family sang as they made their way to worship. They would sing this song, unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. And just as wise as Solomon was, his family was pretty messed up. I mean, if you know anything about Solomon, Solomon took his eyes off of God. And I mean, think about it. this guy married 700 women. Could you imagine when the in-laws came in all at once? But you think about the Bible, you know, there's not a ton of great examples of parenting in the Bible. I mean, think of the first parents, Adam and Eve. They had one son kill another son. Abraham and Sarah, they were pretty messed up as well. I mean, two times, Abraham kind of gave his wife away to someone else to save his own skin. And then there were so many just problems in that family. But you continue on, if you look through the pages of, of biblical history, even Jesus' family was messed up. His mom and his brothers wanted to baker act him because they thought he was crazy. And yet, in the midst of all of the brokenness, God still has promises and he still has got principles. And so what you're going to hear today are principles. Not from an expert, but from a fellow traveler. And what I want you to hear is that where God's principles are not realized, God's grace abounds. Where God's principles are not implemented, God's grace still abounds. And so this particular psalm teaches us to depend upon the grace of God as we steward the gift and realize the goal of raising a family. So let's just jump in. Number one, we're going to see that if you are going to be a parent, you have to see that it's a stewardship, that you are stewarding the gift of parenting. We see this in verse number three. He says, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. That word heritage can be also translated inheritance or a gift. Children are a gift from God. He says the fruit of the womb, not the fruit of the loom, but the fruit of the womb <laughs> is a reward. Every child is a blessing from God, not a burden to bear. All children, not some children. Do you understand that there's no such thing as accidental children? God makes no accidents. And therefore, we must hug them, hold them, kiss them, and thank God for them. It's a heritage. It's an inheritance. An inheritance is something that you leave behind for future generations. And so even if you are not a parent in the room today or a grandparent in the room today, what I want you to think is, as you are a part of this church, First Naples Church, I want you to understand that the legacy that we leave behind for the community in Southwest Florida and the world, we shouldn't just think of buildings or bank accounts or ministry plans. We should think about children. We should think about the privilege we have to point the next generation to Jesus and our responsibility as a church to steward this gift of God. Amen. Now, if you are a parent in the room, you have to understand that parenting is about stewardship, not ownership. Stewardship means that they are not yours. They are God's and God has entrusted you of all the people in the world. God chose you to be their parents. 
But what's going to help you as a parent is to realize that they're not yours. They belong to God and that God loves them more than you love them. But because it's a stewardship, you and I will give an account before God on how we steward the gift that God has given us. And we live in a day where kids are abandoned, neglected, abused, and aborted. But yet God's word says that we are to see each and every one of them as a treasure, asset, and gift from God. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Children are a gift, but they're a hard gift. Amen. God uses your children to humble you and to sanctify you. Kids and grandkids have the ability to bring you to your knees like nothing else. There's no kind of pain like kid pain. And have you ever heard this statement that you're only as happy as your unhappiest kid? Anybody ever heard that or felt that? Now listen. Sometimes you're frustrated with your kids. Has anybody ever been frustrated with their kids? Do you know why you're frustrated with your kids? Because they're frustrating. <laughs> Amen? You expect one thing from them and you get something else. And yes, they can exhaust you, they can challenge you, they can confuse you, and they can take you on the short drive to insanity, but the, at the end of the day, they are a blessing from God. And so the reason why I'm so adamant about this is this, when you view your kids as a gift, it gives you permission to enjoy them more. But just as kids are an incredible gift from God, they make terrible gods. You know, sometimes we can love our kids so much that we make the kid the center of our lives in which they are the sun and we orbit around them. And we can make our kids' happiness more important to us than our obedience to God. See, idolatry is not just bowing down to a wooden statue or a stone statue, but it is taking good things, gifts from God, and turning them into God things and worshiping them. And good things become bad things when they keep you from the best things. And God has given us a good thing in children, but we cannot make it the ultimate thing. There's a Scottish proverb that said this, says this, for every one mile of road, there are two miles of ditches. And what that means is that there tends to be two ditches when it even comes to parenting. On one side of, of the road of parenting is the ditch of over-parenting. This is helicopter parenting. This is parenting that wants to make sure that their kids live a bubble-wrapped life that they never go through any pain, never go through any challenges, never have any hurt, and they are always happy. And so they always hover over their kids. And what happens is that side of the road is idolatry, that they are looking to their kids as if they are God. The, the other side of the road, the other ditch is, is not over-parenting, but the other side of the road is under-parenting. This is free-range parenting, where we allow uh, Google and TikTok and Snapchat to parent our children more than we do. It is that moment in which we under-parent them. We don't shepherd them, and in doing so, we are neglecting to protect 
and steward the gift that God has given us. And so what God wants us to do is to not overparent or underparent, but to steward the gift of parenting that God has given you. So you steward the gift. Well, how do you do that? I'm so glad you asked. By realizing the goal. The next point, realizing the goal. What's the goal of parenting? Verse four. Like arrows in the hand of a mighty warrior are the children of one's youth. When I read that verse, I thought of two things in the study this week. Number one, parents are called to be mighty warriors. In other words, you can't be a wimp in a parenting situation. You got to be a warrior. You can't be passive. To be a parent, you have to be active, alert, and aggressive. And let me just let you in on something. Those of you who have kids, you can agree with me on this. Your kids will do everything they can to wear you down and wear you out. And amen. We should testify to that. Amen. And it is easy as a parent to want to quit. And your kids can come to you and they're like a drip, 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 drip. And you're like, man, okay, sweetheart, I don't care. You can wear a bikini to church. I don't care. <laughs> or son, listen, you drink five five-hour energy drinks before you go to bed. Just leave me and your mom alone so we can watch Netflix, okay? <laughs> it is easy to just want to quit. But do you understand we have an enemy out there that wants to steal, kill, and destroy your kids? We've got to be vigilant. We can't be wimps. We've got to be warriors. Have, have you ever seen the great theological movie, Taken? <laughs> it's such a great movie that they made three of them. <laughs> taken one, taken two, and taken three. Now, spoiler alert, the plot of the story is that somebody is taken. <laughs> and Liam Neeson comes and untakes them and takes them back. In, 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 in taken number one, there's that point in the story where his daughter, Liam Neeson's daughter, is, is kidnapped. And Liam Neeson talks to the kidnappers on the phone. And, and I love this slide. I wish I had the accent. So in my Kentucky twang, hear this. Imagine Liam Neeson. He says, I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. If you're looking for ransom, I can tell you I don't have money. But what I do have is a very particular set of skills, skills I have acquired over a very long career, skills that make me a nightmare to people like you. If you let my daughter go now, that will be the end of it. I will not look for you and I will not pursue you. But if you don't, I will look for you and I will find you and I will kill you. Amen. And that goes for any guy who wants to date my daughter, Anna Brumbach. Amen. Amen. Shotguns loaded. What I'm saying is that we don't have time to be a wimp. We got to be a warrior. And so instead of fighting with your kids, why don't you fight for your kids? See, as a church, as a parent, we have to fight hard for the souls and the future of the next generation. Do you understand that every time in the Bible, the enemy, every time the Bible, in the Bible where the enemy wants to stop the movement of God, he attacks the next generation. We've got to fight. But here's the thing. We've got to fight together. 
Warriors rarely fight alone. We've got to be together in this. Have you heard this phrase? It takes a village to raise a kid. It's not good. Because if you let the village today raise your kid, you know what you'll have? A village idiot. <laughs> you don't need a village to raise your kids, but you do need a church to help you raise your kid. And if you are a believer, you are a part of a family. And that's what I love about our church is that we are a multi-generational, multi-ethnic church family made up of people from different backgrounds, different ages, different stages of life, raising kids, raising grandkids together. And it's beautiful. We need that. Do you remember when you were an expert in parenting? Before you had kids, right? It's like you were the kind of person like you and your wife, you would go to a restaurant and you would see somebody else with their kids and their kids are crying and they're spilling their milk and they're in the floor doing dirt angels in the floor. And you're looking at that and you look at your wife and say, not our kids. <laughs> ha! <laughs> Listen, I had a bunch of theories about raising kids until I had them. It's hard being a parent. It's hard. Listen, I've got a, a family members who have been single parents. It's hard being a single parent. My wife was raised by a single mom. It's hard. But the good news, you don't have to do it alone. God has given us the church and the church is your second family. When, when, when my son Andrew uh, was younger, he just was talking about the church. He's about four or five years old. And, and, and he looked at me and he says, Daddy, he said, I love our fam churchily. And that's really what we are. We're a fam churchily. We're a church family. And listen, the, listen, the church family cannot make up for what's not happening in your home, but it can be a compliment to it. And what I love is I love seeing my kids and I see, love seeing other, other people's kids coming in here and they're hanging out and they're meeting other Christians, they're meeting other believers, they're meeting older people and younger people and they're cross-pollinating and they're learning and, and going to student ministry and kids ministry and preschool ministry and they're learning and growing. I love that. I want us to always be a church that celebrates and is excited about the next generation. J.D. Greer said that your kids are gonna be a visitor somewhere and a part of a community somewhere else. Sadly, a lot of kids are visitors at church while their true community is somewhere else. We want to create a community here where the next generation feels welcome. So that may mean you have to die with some preferences. That may mean that you need to go out of your way and serve and help them. And listen, my kids, believe it or not, love this church, but it's not because of what you think. It's not because of my preaching. I know that's a shock, some of you. My kids love this church because of leaders who invest in their lives, in kids' ministry and student ministry. You know, it's like the other day, my son Aaron, my oldest, you know, he, uh, Daniel Scroggins, our high school uh, pastor director, he is, uh, he's discipling Aaron and, and some other young men, and, uh, and, and Aaron came to me and he said, he said, Dad, he said, we were studying the Bible, and he's like, man, Daniel is a genius. He's so smart. And, and he told I said, what, wow, what makes you think that? And, and he said, man, he, he told me something in the Bible and it, and it blew my mind. I said, well, what'd he tell you? And he told me, and I was thinking to myself, he didn't get that on his own. He got that from me in a staff meeting. 
But I, I didn't say nothing to Aaron. I was like, yeah, man, Daniel's a genius, isn't he? He's so great. And I love this. I love seeing my son Aaron. And I love seeing Andrew and Anna growing in their faith and becoming a leader. That's what it's about. But the only way that this stuff is going to come about is parents, you got to be a warrior. You got to fight for your kids. You got to fight. But the second thing we see in here is that not only are parents warriors, but we see that children are arrows. So we're raising arrows. And God has given us children with a purpose, with a mission. An arrow in the hand of a warrior was a weapon of warfare against the enemy. Do we want to defeat the kingdom of darkness? Then we shoot the arrows of light that God has given us. See, arrows are not decorations. They're not accessories that make us look good and make us feel good. But they are arrows that are meant to be shot out for the mission of God, for the glory of God. But for them to be shot out, we have to understand that it is our job as parents, if you've ever shot an arrow... You've got to aim it at the right target. See, when you're aiming your family, you're, you're aiming it in a direction. Do you know that? It's not just haphazardly. So what you're aiming your kids at matters. And so some people are just aiming their kids to being good citizens and to vote a certain way. Some people are aiming for their kids to be a star athlete and to get all the trophies. Others are aiming their kids to be wealthy business leaders or, or great academics but I believe that all of those things are great, but the most important thing you should aim your kids at is being a disciple of Jesus Christ that makes disciples of Jesus Christ. Amen. See, the, do you understand that the world has no issue defining what the target is? The world has no issue trying to tell you where you're to aim your kids, and if you don't have a target, the world will give you one. See, the mass media, social media, they're pointing our kids away from Christ. They're pointing them away from the church. They're pointing them towards destructive attitudes and behaviors, the doctrines of demons. And so you and I are called to point our kids towards Christ. You know, the great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. In Deuteronomy 6, when God gave that command through Moses, he commands not only that this is the greatest commandment, but he commands parents that you are to teach this to your children as you live your everyday life. And so discipling your children to love God is the most important thing you can ever do for your children. And the only way that that's going to happen, it's never going to happen accidentally. You never drift towards Christ's likeness. You never drift towards loving God. It always has to be done intentionally. A recent study found that 85% of Christian parents admitted that while they acknowledged that they were responsible for their children's spiritual development, they were not personally engaged in any activities that might guide their children to spiritual maturity except for taking them to church. Listen, bringing your kids here to church is great. We have a, a growing family ministry here with, with, with hundreds, literally hundreds and hundreds of kids. And as great as our ministries are here, the home is the primary place of discipleship. Because even if you came every Sunday, even if you were extremely involved, at best, our ministry can provide about 100 hours worth of programming. But parents, you get 1,560 hours with them while you're awake and while they're awake to shepherd their hearts. And so no matter how amazing our kids and student ministries are, which they are, what we do on the weekend pales in comparison to what happens in the home during the week.
See, the most important thing you can give your children is an intentional example. Your kids mimic you. When they're younger, they mimic you. When they're older, they mimic you. Do you understand that the older you get, the more you act like your parents? Have you ever found yourself saying stuff your parents used to say? Children act in the villages they're taught at home. And whether you are intentional in teaching your kids or not, you're teaching your kids something. You teach your kids how to love your, your spouse. You, you teach your kids how to deal with conflict. You teach your kids how to forgive or to have revenge. You, you teach your kids on, on whether or not you should trust God when times are tough. You, you teach your kids on how you spend your money and how you love others and how you worship God and how you walk with God and how you share your faith. You, you're teaching your kids something. So my question is this, are you committed to your child's discipleship more than anything else? Are you committed to the word of God or the things that the world says you have to do to be a good parent? I want to talk about an issue. An issue that I think is an example of where we've got our priorities mixed up. I love athletics. If you, anybody that knows me, you know I bleed blue. I love Kentucky everything. Last, yesterday was a great day because it was a bye week and we didn't lose. And so <laughs> it was great. I love sports and athletics. I want my kids to, to learn the discipline, the teamwork, and there's so and I'm so grateful for all our coaches, uh, both at our academy, but also other coaches that are out in our community. And I'm so grateful for those who invest in children. But let me just say something that's probably gonna offend some of you, and it's meant to. Some parents would never let their kid miss a game, never let their kid miss a practice, Never let their kid miss a weekend tournament. But you'll only go to church when it's convenient for everyone else's schedule. And when you do that, parent, you are teaching your children that discipleship doesn't matter. And you're teaching your children that what happens on the ball field is more important than what's happening in their heart. Now listen, as Miss Jess said, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. But I'm telling you something, you want your kids in church to maybe have a hope that they become a Christian. You can't make your kids fall in love with Jesus, but you better set them up on as many dates as possible. And one of the best dating places for Jesus is in the local church. Now, let me just give you some reality check. Because people spend tons of money on their kids in athletics. And I'm, God, I'm not saying that's bad or wrong or evil. Here's what I want you to hear. Did you know that only one out of 13 kids become a college athlete? That's 7%. And less than 2% will actually play Division I where they'll get a full scholarship. So you'll spend hundreds of thousands of dollars for your kid to maybe get a $15,000 scholarship. But let me just get a little bit further. Percentage of your high school student playing professionally. You want to know what that is? 0.02%. And that's not being an all-star player. That's just making the league. And so think about this, parent. The chances of your child becoming a professional athlete is 0.02%. But the chances of your child standing before a holy God is 
Sports, as my friend says, sports are good, but they can't be God. You say, well, preacher, you don't know my kid. He's special. So let's just play that out. Your kid is special because there are some special kids here. And I know that you have kids and you think everybody, every kid is a Skittle and a snowflake and a powder puff. I mean, I mean, we all think that, but let's just say your kid is really a special athlete and, and they get a five star to their name and they are a five star athlete. And then they go on to play college at the University of Kentucky, the greatest school they can to play basketball. <laughs> and they go to Kentucky, the, most, the winningest program in college basketball history, and they win yet another national championship. And then they get drafted in the first round by the Miami Heat. They play for the Heat and they win a world championship and then they play for the league, in the league for 15 years and they get into the Hall of Fame. Here's the question. Then what? Because at some point, it'll all be over. One former NFL player said this. He says, when your identity is based on what you do, what happens when you can't do what you used to do? Let me say that again. When your identity is based on what you do, what happens when you can't do what you used to do? If we are building our children to find their identity in anything other than Christ and the gospel, we are setting them up to be really disappointed when they get older. But the best thing you can do is aim your kids at the identity that they can only be found in Jesus to be on mission for Jesus Christ. And yes, they can be a Christian athlete, but they need to be a Christian first. I didn't get a lot of amen, so I... <laughs> we went from preaching to meddling. And I want to reiterate... God uses sports and athletics to bring people to Christ. I don't want you to ever think that that's not important, but you've got to put the right emphasis on the right syllable. <laughs> you got to get it right. So arrows, our children are arrows and arrows must be shot out for the mission of God. Arrows in a quiver are great but they can't stay in the quiver forever. Do you hear that mom and dad? Eventually you got to shoot them out the house. Amen. <laughs> the goal of parenting is this, to teach your children to be less and less dependent upon you. Would you put the slide up please? The goal of parenting is to teach your children to be less and less dependent upon you and more and more dependent upon God. That's the goal. Because one day I'm not gonna be around. One day you're not gonna be around. And if they were living their lives completely codependent upon you, we failed them. Steward the gift. How do you steward the gift? You gotta realize the goal. The goal is to make disciples of Jesus Christ that are on mission for Jesus. But I don't know about you, but it ain't easy. Can I get a witness on that one? It's not easy. So that gets me to the last point, and that's depend on the grace. Depend on grace. If you read this, this passage, 
it seems a little disjointed. Solomon talks about buildings and then he talks about cities and then he talks about working and then he talks about babies. In verse one, he says, unless the Lord builds the house. As I told you, Solomon was a masterful builder. He built the temple in Jerusalem, which was one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. Uh, just a week or so ago, uh, I was there and um, went down to the very foundation stones of Solomon's temple. And so as people were coming into the city of Jerusalem and they would sing this song, unless the Lord builds the house, they would be walking actually up those magnificent stairs that led to the temple. They would see this impressive structure. They would see the, the temple of Solomon and people from all over the world would be in awe of its magnificence. And yet Solomon says that unless the Lord builds the house, regardless of how great the house is, it will not stand. Where is the temple of Solomon now? It's rubble and ruin. As they walked into the city of Jerusalem, there was these walls. The, the walls of the city were its defense. People would stand on top of the walls as watchmen. They would guard and defend and protect the city day and night. They would watch out on the wall. And yet Solomon says that unless the Lord watches over the city, the city is not going to be safe. If the Lord doesn't build the house, the house will not stand. If the Lord doesn't watch the city, the city will not be safe. And then he talks about working. He says it's vain to go to, to get up early and it's vain to go to bed late. And he's saying, listen, unless the Lord is in your work, you'll never be satisfied. You see that? If the Lord's not in the house, the house won't stand. If the Lord's not in the, watching the city, the city won't be safe. And if the Lord is not in your work, you'll never be satisfied. You just eat the bread of anxious toil. What's the principle? Is that apart from God, your greatest achievements in life will not ultimately matter. That apart from God, they are pointless, worthless, and you will be restless. Unless the sovereign God of the universe has his hand involved in whatever you do, it will not be successful, it will not stand, you will not be safe, and you'll never be satisfied. It's the same thing that Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. The same is true with parenting. That apart from God, no matter how great of a parent you think you are, it won't be enough. And so when the ideal is not realized, we have to fall on the grace of God. To be a successful parent in the eyes of God is not going to all the conferences or reading all the books or never yelling at your kids. It means that you daily depend on the grace of God and that you want God's hand in your children's life and that your greatest legacy to them is not the money you leave behind them, but the master that they fall in love with. And that you want your children to trust in God's goodness and God's grace and God's protection more than they trust in you. And therefore, that's the only way that unless the Lord builds the family, the family will fall apart. And how can you know if you're trusting in God? Well, you see it here in the text. A sign that you're trusting in God and walking in his ways is that you're sleeping at night. 
Because if you sleep, who's watching, the, who's building the house? Well, no, no one is, God is. And if, if you're sleeping, who's watching the city? Well, no one is other than God. And if, you, if you're sleeping, who's working? Well, it must be God. Do you understand that the reason why you sleep every night is to prove to you that you are not God? Every time you go to bed, it's an act of worship. And so as a parent, you do what you can do and you leave the rest to God. How can you rest in God? Verse 2b, he gives his beloved sleep. When you are parenting in your own strength, your own way, you won't get much sleep. But do you understand that God can give you what Tylenol PM and melatonin gummies can't? He can give you rest for your souls. Matthew 11, Jesus says, come to me, you that are weak and heavy laden. That's parents. That's grandparents. That's all of us. And I will give you rest. Rest for your souls. Who does he give it to? He gives it to his beloved Let's, let's break that word down. Be loved. The word for God in the Old Testament, Yahweh, is the Hebrew word in the root that means to be. To be. The great to be. The great I am. Do you understand that the great to be loves you? that you are loved by the great bee. The great bee loves you. You are loved and cared for by the great I am. You are be loved. And you will only be able to parent your children when you have a personal relationship with Jesus. Until you know you are his beloved, you're gonna struggle to parent your kids. But you rest in the grace. On planet Earth, there has never been a perfect parent. But there is a perfect father. And the good news is that there is more grace in him than there is sin in you that you have made mistakes, you have messed it up. And some of you right now, you're listening to this message and you're saying, oh, I wish I would have heard something like this a few years ago. I blew it with my children. My children are out of the house. We don't have a relationship. They don't have a relationship with God. It's too late. I'm a failure. I love what Martin Luther said. He said, the voice of condemnation speaks accurately about the sins we've committed God's word, God speaks a louder word over us in the gospel. If your children are still alive, there is still hope. Never stop chasing after your children. Never stop pointing them to Jesus. Never give up. You know why? Because your heavenly father never gives up on you.
So here's how I want to end. We're almost, we're almost done. I want to ask for a commitment today. The commitment is, is that every day you would commit to pray for your children or your grandchildren or your niece or your nephew or a family member, friend, their children and that you would commit to pray for those who are influencing their children, your children. It could be a coach, a teacher, an administrator, a friend. I want you to commit to pray for them. Maybe you pray at 2.39 p.m. as you're praying for God to be glorified in your life and the church and that the Naples and that Naples to the nations would be reached. You just throw your kids in there too. With what great legacy would it be that, to know that when you're dying and you die, your kids stand at your funeral and say, my mom and dad prayed for me every day. Listen, no one should pray for your kids more than you do. So here's the opportunity. There, there's, there's close to 2,000 people in this room. So it's gonna be tricky what we're gonna do. But if you're a parent, if you're a grandparent, I wanna invite you to come and pray for your kids or your grandkids. If you're married and your spouse is with you, you can hold them by the hand and pray with them. If you're a single parent, you can come down and pray for your kids. If you physically can't come, you can just sit where you are in a moment and, and pray. But I think that it would be good that you came down and just said to the Lord, you don't have to get on your knees. You can just come up here, stand, pray with your spouse, pray over your spouse. Some of you have never prayed together as a couple. I would encourage you to start today. No one should pray for your kids more than you do. So if you have kids still in the home, you should come and pray. If you have teenagers, you should sprint down here, okay? <laughs> but I want to call you to pray. So I'm going to pray right now. Our, our, our team, our band's going to come up here. They're going to just play. But I want you just to come. Just you and the Lord, and you talk, you and your spouse. You, you just come and ask God to give you grace. Because I guarantee you, as soon as church is over, the old devil's going to, you're going to probably yell at your kids today. If you don't, we probably will. So, but in that moment, say, God, give me grace to steward this gift and point them to you. Father, in Jesus' name, I ask your Holy Spirit to move in this room, that God, people would be serious about raising their kids and loving them and pointing them to you. God, I thank you for Aaron and Andrew and Anna. I thank you for their mama. I thank you for how these 15 years of our marriage, we've been able to grow. It's been ups and downs, highs and lows, but we thank you, God, that you're the center of our marriage. God, we want you to be the center of our home. I pray right now publicly that you would use my children to serve you in whatever way you want. Forgive me, God, as a dad, where I've not lived for you where I've been so selfish. Forgive me, God, where I've been more willing to watch TV than hang out with them. And God, I pray that you use, use all the men in this room and all the women in this room who are parents and grandparents to be a warrior in the fight, not a wimp. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you just come? If you got your kid here with them, bring your kid. Pray over your kid.